Good morning. It is a joy to be with you this morning as we uh, celebrate this Lord's Day and worship together. My name is uh, Mike Palumbo. I'm the pastor of Relational Discipleship. And I just want to start off by making one thing very clear. Uh, I was not called as the pastor of Relational Discipleship because I am the perfect follower of Jesus who is going ahead of all of us and saying, everyone come behind me. Uh, This pastor is a struggling sinner recovering from various ways of struggle. Uh, But God in his grace is growing me and it is a joy uh, to grow with you all uh, and uh, to fumble forward, to fall forward in Christ's love and his grace. We are continuing a series uh, throughout this church. We've been in this series for a handful of weeks where we've been looking at how God graciously saves us in Jesus in the order of salvation. The God who chose us to be saved has called us to Christ's saving work. He has revived our hearts receiving Christ in regeneration. He saves us by granting us faith and repentance to cling to Christ in conversion. And this Savior has given us a new perfect record in justification and a new family relationship in adoption. But justification and adoption are not the end of the road when it comes to our salvation. The Savior who saves us has welcomed us into a transformational relationship. Our adoption in Christ not only results in a restored relationship to God, but welcomes us into a relationship that actually restores us. This relationship helps us put off old ways to be renewed and to put on the new ways. In today's sermon, we will look at how to pursue this new life together in Ephesians 4, 17-25. You can open that up in the Pew Bible on page 978. After declaring God's saving grace throughout Ephesians 1-3, through Paul clarifies to the church of Ephesus how to walk in a manner worthy of this gracious salvation. In today's text, we will explore Paul's model of sanctification, beginning in verse Ephesians 4:17. Hear the reading of the Word of God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this glorious truth that you have made us as new creations in Jesus Christ. We thank you for this new self that you're shaping and forming inside of us. We pray that you would give us eyes to see your beauty in the gospel, that we might be transformed through Jesus, our Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hopefully as you have uh, walked with us through this series, you've seen the glorious grace of Jesus. 
And this causes us to sing praise to a God of such grace. But I get concerned that sometimes we make too light of the grace of God. Sometimes maybe we only see one side of God's grace. The grace that saves us and not the grace that sanctifies us. I'm concerned that we have possibly bought into a cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived between World War I and World War II. In this time, he saw some of the devastating effects of war and the devastating decline of Germany to Nazi rule. As Hitler came to power and began ravaging the Jewish community and others by genocide, much of the German church was silent. They chose to silently follow Hitler in fear rather than courageously following Christ down the costly road of discipleship. Bonhoeffer confronted the church for its cheap view of grace, salvation without sanctification. Bonhoeffer says that cheap grace is preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Bonhoeffer says that true grace is costly grace. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. But it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life there is. It is costly because it condemns sin. But it is grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of His Son. You were bought at a price. And what was, has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. In the text this morning, Paul calls us to live out this costly grace. He says we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And this points us to the reality that sanctification is extremely difficult. Because it's like we're learning how to walk again. Does anyone remember that? You took your first step, you stumbled, you fell. You got back up. You took your second step, you stumbled, you fell. You got back up. This sanctification process is a renewal of our life goal and our lifestyle. That we might walk according to the ways of God and pursue His purposes. To put it another way, sanctification is the lifelong process of renewal where we are learning to trust in the work of Christ as we develop the character of Christ and follow the way of Christ. So how do we put off the old self and walk in this new direction? And maybe the question is, what does it mean for us to pursue this new life? Well, Paul first instructs us to put off the old deception. In verse 23, Paul calls us to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Here he uses clothing language calling us to get rid of an old wardrobe and to put on something new. This old self is a way that Paul sums up our previous life marked by sin, deception, and rebellion. We inherited this old way way back from Adam, the first creation. But also we learn it from our families and our culture. Since he calls it the former manner of our life, 
Paul assumes that something new has entered in. That we are new creations because of Christ pursuing a new kingdom. Paul says that this former manner of life is corrupt through deceitful desires. This deception in our desires distorts our thinking and misdirects our actions. The Gentiles were darkened in the understanding because their hearts were hardened. And the text says that their hearts were given up to sensuality. Paul says that the core deception of sin begins in our senses. You see, God has given us eyes to see, ears to hear, tongues to taste, and noses to smell. That we might sense God's goodness. We might worship His name and follow His way. When Adam and Eve were deceived by eating the forbidden fruit, it says Eve saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was desirable to make her wise. She took of its fruit and ate it, and the man gave hearty approval. Instead of using these senses to sense God's goodness, worship, and follow, Eve was led astray by these very senses. She was deceived in her desires, distorted in her thinking, and misdirected in her actions. Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians 11.3, he says, I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We too can become deceived in our desires, distorted in our thinking, misdirected in our actions. And the strategy of temptation in the garden is the same strategy today. We follow the same lies that Satan used through the mouth of the serpent. God is no good. Sin has no consequences. Life has no boundaries. Because we reject the goodness of God, we look for goodness out there in the world. Because we believe sin has no consequences, we run after sin, not realizing the wreckage it brings to our lives and those around us. And because we believe life has no boundaries, we do whatever we want without limits, as if we are all-knowing, all-wise, and all-powerful. We believe that God would not keep us when we truly want, and so we give in. The first great deception of the old self is the deception to overvalue God's creation. Just as Eve overvalued the beauty of the fruit, the tastiness of its sweetness, its ability to make wise, so we overvalue some aspect of creation. This desire causes us to rebel against God's command. Martin Luther says that whenever we break any commandment, we always break the first command to worship some other god. We find something of ultimate worth and give our ultimate allegiance. And this desire and this overvaluing of creation causes us to break God's command. Why do we break the Sabbath? We long to achieve our vocational goals or or get that A in a classroom. Or maybe we love approval of co-workers or friends. When Sunday comes, we realize we haven't done enough to achieve our goals And so we work hard day in and day out, seven days a week without stopping. Instead of worshiping the God that gives us rest from our work, we work hard throughout this day. Our ambition deceives us and we rebel against God. Why do we murder? We deeply desire some person, place, or thing. Someone takes away our opportunity to enjoy it 
or blocks our goal. We make a God of our goals. Our desire is blocked and we think we must punish the person that blocked us from this goal. We hate the person and murder them. This is the source of all of our conflicts. We've made a God of our goals. Our hatred deceives us and we rebel. Why do we lie? We deeply desire a good reputation and don't want anyone to realize that we're truly a fraud. We exaggerate truths. We cover up struggle. And we do whatever we can to control people's perceptions of us. We make a God of our image. We do this in small ways by answering to the question, how are you? Fine. Just fine. When really the world around us is falling apart. Or we do this in more drastic ways by lying about our finances or other things that have huge consequences. Approval deceives us and we rebel. Paul says, put off the old deception. It is corrupting us and leaving us lifeless. When we realize the depth of our sin, another lie creeps in. And this is more destructive than the first one. We believe God can never love and save a sinner so great as me. We feel ashamed, worthless, and unforgiven. We undervalue the cross. Our shame defeats us and we think if God has given up on us, then I give up too. We throw in the the towel and we agree with Paul in Romans 7.24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We wait for an answer, and the only answer we can find is no one, and I am a nobody. We must throw off this lie, Christian. We must look to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must hear again that Jesus came to save sinners. When did that change in our story? God has made us alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. God has justified the ungodly in Jesus. Romans 4, 5. And as sin increases, grace increases all the more. Look up, O defeated Christian, to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lift up your eyes to this cross because on this cross He died for your sins to make you new. We need to be renewed by the truth of the Gospel. If our problem is we have been deceived in our deepest desires, then we must seek renewal in those deep places. We must be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And unless we're really careful, we need to realize He's not simply saying add new ideas to our brains. But we need to be renewed in our very core. Our evaluation center where we measure worth. We need to be experiencing a recalibration of our loves. A renewing of our heart's deepest desires. A reprogramming of our internal processor. We renew our taste for glory and grace. Paul says in verse 20 that we already learned Christ. We heard about Him. We were taught in Him as the truth that is in Jesus This returning to Jesus and receiving His life-fulfilling love renews us in this new life of righteousness. Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If any man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And later on in verse 9, he continues, As a father loves me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. This fruit-bearing renewal that brings new life and new love only happens as we abide in the love of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Abiding in this love changes our love and restores us that we would reflect love into our communities. The navigators created a tool called the wheel diagram that demonstrates how these resources renew us in the love of God. You can see it printed in your bulletin right before you. This wheel diagram assumes that the hub, the wheel, the spokes are all fundamental to the movement of a vehicle. And where this vehicle is going is in the direction of godliness. But if you don't have a hub in the very center of this wheel, that wheel will fall off or stay stagnant. And so the wheel and the hub provides not only security to the wheel, but also power to keep the wheel moving. And so what is the hub, the center of our security, the source of our power, but the love of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? We delight more deeply in this love of God, delighting in the Father's loving provision, the Son's saving work, the Spirit's empowering presence. We receive this love through the written Word of God and the sacraments. As we study the Word of God, we see that His love is better than life and more desirable than sin. As we take communion and pour water, we see and experience the forgiveness of Christ's sacrificial death and His cleansing power. Whenever we take these sacraments and see and participate in the sacraments, we are reminded of the forgiveness which silences our shame. We respond to this love and prayer and praise to God. In prayer, we pour out our heart to a God who loves and cares for us. In praise, we sing out our songs to God. And we are renewed, we are renewed in this love and satisfied in His loving presence. This shows us the vertical resources God has given us to be renewed in love. But God also has given us resources to be renewed horizontally. We share this love and fellowship in the church. This is why we gather week in and week out to rejoice in the love of our Savior and to share that love with one another. If you look at Ephesians 4.25, Paul calls us to put off falsehood and to speak the truth with our neighbor. For we are members of another. This is love and action as we enter into each other's lives and we, we help each other discern the, the lies, the deception that we believe and delight in the love of God. This is why we desire every one of us to connect in smaller community, whether that's connecting to a Sunday school, a life group, an RFN Bible study, because we deeply need each other to help us in this renewal process. Being filled with the steadfast love of God, we pour out this love in our neighborhoods as we evangelize and as we serve our cities. This is the evidence of true love that we have found, that we long to share it and meet the needs, the spiritual needs, the physical needs, the emotional needs of our community as we share Christ and resources. This is how we keep growing and going. This renewal process prepares us to joyfully put on new righteousness. This new self is the true righteousness and holiness 
of Jesus Christ. Paul says that this new self is essentially a return to our created design as we're made to be in the likeness of God. This means that this process of sanctification is really a restoration, restoring us to our original calling to reflect God's character and resemble His likeness. But we must let go of this trend of finding our goal of our humanity and the culture around us. We do not base our maturity on the shifting trends of right and wrong in our community. But we also must let go of the frozen approach. Has anyone seen this? What is Elsa singing of? She says, reject all rules. Find our humanity and our deepest feelings and desires. And no matter how loud Elsa sings of the freedom that our feelings will bring us, if we just express them, they leave us more frazzled than free. They deceive our desires, distort our thinking, and misdirect our actions. We will not find the goal of our humanity inside us. Rather, we are to find our truest humanity outside of us in the character of God revealed in the Scriptures. A God who is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, pursuing justice in all His ways. Verse 25-29 through provides excellent illustrations of this model. Put off falsehood and speak truth. Put off sinful anger and put on peace. Put off stealing and put on generous labor. Put off corrupting talk and put on encouraging talk. Shedding the old skin of unrighteousness, seeking renewal and pursuing new righteousness is a painfully long process. We see this illustrated beautifully in C.S. Lewis's book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Eustace is the cousin of the Provinzies, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. He is a bossy bully of a boy who constantly seeks to ruin people's day. Whenever he speaks, he blames other people or says nasty things. In one scene, he comes across a dragon's cave and finds a pile of dragon's gold. The shining gold draws on his greedy desires and he fills his pocket and his heart with the love of money. Sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragonous thoughts in his heart, he had become a dragon himself. With all his dragon strength, he could be even meaner than before. But now he became sad. He realized that no one would want to spend time with him as a monstrous dragon. His greedy desire turned into a lonely monster. A monster cut off from the whole human race. When he saw the lonely dragon he had become, he began weeping. The group went on a search to find Eustace and came upon a weeping dragon. They cautiously approached the muted dragon and through a series of questions identified him as Eustace. Upon realizing Eustace transformed into a greedy dragon, they committed to stand by him and help him renew and restore Aslan, the lion Christ figure, approaches Eustace and tells Eustace to follow him to the top of the mountain to a well. Aslan told Eustace to scratch his skin off. He scratches away and one layer comes off to find another layer. And then he scratches again to find another layer. And he scratches again to find endless layers of dragon skin. So many layers to scratch away. And do you see it in your own life? So many layers of sin 
to be scratched away. Aslan looks at him with love and says, you will have to let me scratch away the skin. His claws cut deep into the skin, almost to the heart. And Aslan begins pulling the skin off layer by layer. The pain was excruciating. But each painful scratch took off the monstrous dragon self, which had brought ruin to his person. Aslan tossed Eustace into the well, and he sprung out a clean person, clean of the filth of the dragon. Aslan then clothed him with new clothes and true righteousness and holiness. In this instance of undress, the cure began. See, the sanctification process requires the painful undress of our old self. It requires that we put ourselves in the surgery room where God's grace works and transforms us into new people. It is painful and it is long. But the beauty of the gospel is that God is able to do that which we can never do ourselves. That we do not enter into this process alone, but with God standing by our side and a loving community supporting us. He is peeling back the layers of our sin and revealing our true self created in God's image. Already, Jesus has given to us a righteous record in justification. And day by day, He is making us more righteous as we abide in Him. This means we are becoming daily and morally what we are eternally and legally before God. And as we persevere to the day of final glorification, where God will make us perfectly righteous in every way, we wait with hope that this legal status of justification will become our regular experience as restored human beings fully righteous as Jesus Himself. But until then, we wait in hope That the Savior that came to die for us is the Savior who is with us pulling away those layers, dying on the cross and renewing us after His image. All to the glory of God our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the good news of the Gospel. That You are transforming us in Jesus Christ. That You're pulling away those layers of sin and renewing us in the core of our desires. O Lord, grant us perseverance to look to Jesus Christ, our Savior, to wait for Him in this renewal process, to be a community that seeks renewal together in the love of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is in His name that we pray. Amen.